Hello, Red Splatters. Welcome to the program. I'm your lovely host, Kyle Lira, and today <laughs> we're talking Oscars. We're talking Jessica Jones. We're talking Shield, and we're talking John Favreau joining the Star Wars Disflix family. Uh, so uh, to cut to the chit chat, let's go to uh, Red Spotlight number 98, and the winner is. We are here, ladies and gentlemen, so, Alexis Soto, the the guy with me, my co-host, my lovely co-host. How are you doing, my lovely co-host? What is your obsession with the word lovely today? I don't know. Today? I'm just in a lovely mood. <laughs> in here, I thought I would overdo it when I would say very special. Very special indeed. <laughs> uh, anyway... Uh, Alexis, we saw, we saw the mm -hmm. Oscars. Well, I saw 75% of it, but you watched the whole shebang. As um, I usually do. As is tradition. Uh, before we, uh, get into the, into the actual, uh, winners, uh, I want to dive into reviewing the actual show itself. Uh, so mm -hmm. Alexis, what did you think of the show? Did Jimmy Kimmel essentially repeat everything he did last year? Yes. Did that bother me? Not necessarily. Because I liked what he did last year. I actually found him to be entertaining. I know one thing in particular that you despised last year was the bit uh, where he brought in like audience people into the, into the theater and mingling with the celebrities that they were supposedly and on the man, tour. I know you didn't like that. It up. We 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 <laughs> shove it up the ass this time around. Well, we we've we've established you didn't like that. I I kind of liked it. I think Peter also liked it as well. This year, um, it was asinine again. He but go on. Was it really? Do you feel you I feel think it, was it was asinine? Asinine. It was too much. Um, hey, look at us. It. it, it Hollywood seems to be so, you know, far up its own ass. I mean, the, but that's how Hollywood is, though. I, I gotta say, though. Oh, look, it's look, all uh, the look. glamorous people going to the poor people. Yay, us. Okay, let me ask you this question. Would your tone be different if you were in that theater and Mark Camel walked in and Gal Gadot? And all those people? How would you, if you were in that audience, and if you got to meet those celebrities, how if would you be If I were be watching active? a movie, I would be pissed. <laughs> Kyle, if you were in that particular theater, and if the movie they were watching was Wrinkle in Time, by the way. They interrupted Wrinkle in Time for a much better show according to the reviews i think every i don't think anybody minded that they interrupted a wrinkle in time to meet mark hamill and gal gadot and everybody else who was well to be fair it's a it's a free early screening yes yes but look, i th i think i think uh the intention behind that even though yes it was a bit probably staged for television sure of course 
but I, I like the theme of it, you know, trying to, you know, extend a handout to the people who go to the movies regularly, like, like you and me. And I, I, for one, happen to think that if we were in that theater and if Mark Hamill, of all people, would walk through it, we would go crazy. I would love to meet him, wouldn't you? But I understand that it plays differently when you're not in that room, and maybe it did come across as, like, uppity. I didn't really particularly care for it either way, so I'm not really, like, if you hated it, okay. And the thing is, though, it's it's kind of mm-hmm. tricky, especially that Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel had to maneuver this in his monologue, and quite frankly, throughout the entire night. Because this is the Academy Awards, but... It's not like he or anybody on that stage could have ignored the whirlwind that has taken Hollywood by storm the past year, which is the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, and all the other things that accompany. I know, that. but like every, I don't see. I, I I don't see. Yeah, I I okay. I know where you're going to go with this. I know where you're going to say it. I, I am. What am I? Let me say? just say. It. I'm not. I, I'm not saying that you're gonna that you're wrong. Yeah, but. I know, but not every single person on that stage has to go political. Not every person on that stage has to address it. Okay, that is a fair criticism. I'm not here saying that you don't that you shouldn't feel that way because quite frankly, I, I, I did toward the end of the night I was like, Okay guys, all right, I get it. Enough, enough, enough. Even I agree with you, but I mean, this is the Academy Awards. We shouldn't get this political. But at the same time, you can't really argue with the fact that a lot of the messages that people were saying, especially when people uh, for the winners that were addressing uh, displaced people in society, for marginalized people, for diversity, all of those things are very important, especially when uh, I I think, um, well, I I don't want to get into the win right now, but when uh, Lee Unkrich got up there with Darla K. Anderson and, and Adrian Molina, and they were talking about how much this movie is meant to really, you know, unite marginalized people. And different things here and there to the left and to the right of it. Look, it's tricky. It's not going to be a, a perfect thing. And what I'm trying to say is, regardless of how they handle it, they were always going to get criticized. I'm with you in the sense that. Perhaps this was like too much of of bringing it up every now and then, but at the same time, this is such a huge year for these movements and especially for women in Hollywood. And I think like the politics of it kind of go beyond it. I know that our own Moreno, Alexis Moreno, was very empowered by the speech by Frances McDormand when she accepted her award for Best Actress. So. Maybe it's are are there moments that just turned you off, or was it entirely? It was, I know, okay. The thing is, is ahead. that you know I agree that you know things need to change, obviously, you know, but you know to constantly you know hammer it in your ass, you know, is just completely asinine. And the the thing is, is that it, it no longer feels like a uh, celebration of movies but a celebration of a celebrity intrigue you know and that and that right there is what is what pisses me off about all the all the recent uh, award shows um and i get it i i completely get it you know like 
the whole Me Too movement, the whole, uh, the whole, uh, you know, diversity in movies. Which we support, by the I, way. I, which I we support, support that. Um, and also, uh, that right there is, uh, got me frustrated. And also, um, every other, uh, female, again, I understand the whole Me Too movement, but come on, do you think it's, like, fair to the nominees every time they say, here are the male nominees? Is that really fair? Um... Well, I mean, they all laughed. <laughs> and if you're going to blame anybody for that, blame Natalie Portman, because she's the one that started this a few weeks back with the Golden Globes. And here are the five male nominees for Best Director. But then everybody starts um, saying it. And I don't think that's fair. And if you if you really want change, go into the hiring. Go, go target the hiring. Don't target, you know, the audience itself. It seems like, you know these these presenters are targeting the audience themselves and chastising them uh for uh going out to support these movies does it feel it that feels way like to you? that it feels like they're because i thought that they were attacking the academy themselves or maybe hollywood well, then, in general for... well then hire you know hire you know other diverse people you know stop hiring i mean yeah spielberg Scorsese, whatever, name all the directors out there, but like, you know, start the hiring center, you know, you're not going to change stuff by just chanting it out, actually freaking do something about it. Well, look, here's, I understand where you're coming from, and I, 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 I get the resentment and the frustration, but if we're going to be blunt about where we are with things a few years ago i wasn't too fond of um the outrage of oscars so white and i came at it from the perspective of look i these are the academy awards and they're supposed to nominate the most outstanding acting performances of the year now putting that to the side real quick you know I feel that maybe perhaps I was a bit misguided when I said that because um, maybe I didn't fully appreciate where uh, the outrage was coming from. And to be fair to everything that Kyle just said, it's perfectly understandable to have those frustrations. And I know you know this, but it, it, it certainly need to, needs to be reiterated that every, every award show is political and perhaps it always was. And to the extent that we're talking about politics in these award shows, a lot of the people who win are about politics. Regardless of whether or not they deserve it, A lot every single year we have people who win not because they deserve it, but because it's their time or it's their year or they're popular, they're well-liked. And we, everybody here on the channel thinks that's absolutely disgusting and why that's why in general these award shows are bullshit because they're never these people are never awarded based on merit they're awarded based on you know who had the best oscar campaign you know do the academy do they like you or not so just so we get that out of the way and perfectly clear the next thing i wanted to add on is what you said you know don't attack the academy that's not so effective there may be some evidence to the contrary, Kyle, about that, because Oscar So White thing happened just a few years ago, and because of that outrage, they were forced to essentially change their rules. And every single year now since that happened, 
they're accepting uh, more people of color, more diverse people into the academy itself. And I think ever since that happened, you've been seeing more nominees uh, of diverse background. And I think you've also seen it perhaps in the winners. Like, um, I, again, going back to the, the couple of past years, uh, Moonlight winning Best Picture, 12 Years a Slave winning Best Picture, uh, Get Out almost winning, certainly. There are a lot more uh, different kinds of nominees because there are a lot more different kinds of academy, academy members themselves that don't look like one another. So in, a, in, in around 10 years' time, what we associate with as the uh, media and academy member, you know, the old white man, they're probably not going to be in the majority. So, and that probably wouldn't have happened so quickly if it wasn't for this outrage. So is it fair to attack them? Probably not because they're not the ones who cast the movies. It's the movie studios. And that's why uh, Francis McDormand said inclusion writer, right? That that's where you go about attacking the problem. Every now and then, or not every now and then, it seems like every single day we have issues with whitewashing, um, and casting, and because the opportunity isn't there. I know Natalie Portman said recently that um, apparently, um, because Annihilation, directed by Alex Garland, it's an adaptation of a novel, and apparently the character is not white, and she had no idea. And she was like, if I had any idea, I probably wouldn't have taken the role. So these are issues that are continuing to happen. And is it fair to attack the Academy? Probably not, but you can't argue with the results that I don't think movies like Get Out or Moonlight would be getting this much love and attention by this group 10 years ago. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that that change is happening. I think this is what needs to happen. Uh, Number one, don't... your heart is in the right place. I get, you know, hiring diversity, but don't hire because it's the diverse choice. Hire because it's the right choice. I uh, also, and I agree with you, but you have to understand that from people from the other side of the aisle, probably don't see it that way. I'm always with the person is you hire the best person for the job. And while we're while we're talking about this. You know, Kathleen Kennedy has been under fire recently for hiring white men to do basically every single Star Wars movie and TV show. And while I think some, I think perhaps she's not handling the PR the best way possible, I have no doubt she hired the best person for that job. But uh, I think that's just the way it but goes. But then sometimes. again, uh, when people bring up uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know more diverse options, uh, number one. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, Wrinkle in Time is not doing so well. Uh, and that's partially because uh, its director doesn't know how to do big blockbuster. Uh, and you're seeing that, uh, you know, presented to you in front of the screen. So uh, sometimes... Uh, diversity is not the right answer just look for the most talented uh the ones that are you know capable of doing that and have shown their worth um that's all uh that's all i want to say about the about the matter um 
just. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I understand it. I guess I should actually review the actual show itself. Yeah, the politics are the politics, but that, you know, we already covered that. As far as the production value, I enjoyed Jimmy Kimmel. Um, I think he's very funny. He's very on the point. He's very quick. I love the pacing of it. You can tell he really practiced for that, but I think I haven't seen a host like him in recent memory where he just, like, like just breezes through a monologue or through a set like nothing and i think that he has wonderful oh, especially timing. after especially after I, last year and what happened and and he, yeah he never <laughs> oh, well, he I never mean, let himself pretty... down for that actually because he was mm-hmm. the the pretty much the joke of the night is please don't mess this up you know and that was and that was uh and that was clearly present with everything and uh also the sound sounded better you know like it was well well, uh, well, mm-hmm. uh, equated, if that's a word. <laughs> well, well, one of the reasons why I enjoyed this year is because this was the 90th Academy Awards, and they had, like, special packages and, like, montages of different movies and actors. And while they may not have been entirely necessary, I did find them to be wonderfully edited, and they did strike a bit of emotion in me, all the different kinds of films that were put together. I, I, I'm a big fan of montages. I like them and watching them before a category, and just because it is a celebration of how long this uh, industry has been going on. As somebody who has edited a few for the podcast, I, too, am a huge Mm -hmm. fan of montages. Uh, (laughs) So I think think that this this whole Oscars, uh, guys, just, just, you know, I don't know. Hollywood, Hollywood is. I understand. Hollywood is not going to listen to this podcast, so I'm I, I'm preaching to a wall I mean, here. But I, uh, I I don't know. Just like, uh, don't just go for like, the, the diverse choice. Go for the talented choice. Um, but I guess I think what's more important though. That's the real question because you're saying go for the right choice, but are you talking about in terms of the studios or for, or for the the um, the awards? Who are uh, you referring to? Right, right now, the studios, because uh, that's who they seem to be addressing. Uh, so I'm just answering what they're saying, uh, and that's uh, right. and that's uh, go for which I agree, by the way. That that's where they should. But the, the thing is, though, that's why this is like not the most comfortable thing discussing because it's like it's not like it's one thing or the other. You have to do both. You know, you can't just say, "Well, we did the best choice," and just slack off diversity. You need to have more people of different backgrounds in your movies. It's not like I'm not saying put that over. Uh, somebody who is better, like, is then that would be affirmative action. I mean, if you were saying, to, if you were to w- cast, uh, if you were to do a biopic of like Jackie Chan, for example, you're clearly not going to hire a white guy to play Jackie Chan. You know, it's just, it, it, you know, it just, I don't know. Well, I mean, that that's that that's that's exactly the problem right there in recent memory. Well, what happened with uh, with uh, what's her name? Uh, Tilda Swinton and Doctor Strange. What was the character she was playing? Uh, the Grand Ma- the Grandmaster. Um, was it the Grandmaster? I think she was some. She was some. I don't remember the name, but 
that character was a in the in the comics anyway of uh, Asian descent and Asian background. Also, um, Iron Fist. A lot of people were very angry, uh, and I know you haven't seen Iron Fist. A lot of angry with the fact that they cast a white guy for Ooh, Danny. Danny Rand is white. What are you complaining about? <laughs> that that right there is asinite. And also, when people get, I mean. Albeit Ghost in the Shell was a was a piss poor movie, other than a few visuals that were really cool. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, when she was cast, a lot of a lot of people in America right. uh, were all pissed off that they didn't hire an Asian uh, Asian lady. When uh, when it was uh, released in Asia, Asian the the Asian community gave you know zero fucks about that it was right but kyle kyle hold up hold up i i do want to make it clear though um you know we know nick fury today as samuel l jackson but you know he was white in the comic books right so if they can change it for nick fury why couldn't they change it for danny rand if if you're already changing things to different races why not just do it then i mean i it's an adaptation Right, I, I I I don't. Again, like, especially with Iron Fist, the actor who they got, which I forget his name, I don't think he was the best person for the job. I'm just saying right there, they could have found some better actors for that show, for that character. Which show again? Iron okay. Fist. Right. So it's like, look, I. It's not an easy thing to discuss, and it's not going to be an easy solution. That's all I'm going to say right now. Can we move on to the winners? Yes, yes. Uh, I like to go into the um, into the silent heroes of the of the whole entire movie industry uh, as we talk about the more technical aspect before we get to the good stuff. Um, first of all, uh, best film editing goes to Dunkirk. Uh, Are we gonna go off one by uh, one? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so get ready, ladies and gentlemen. Get ready. Of oh god. Uh, film editing goes to Dunkirk. Cinematography goes to Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, and the award was received to uh, Roger Deakins. Uh, well, my opinion on that is no shit. It's one of the most gorgeous movies last year. Uh, you you would be completely uh, uh, foolish to not give it to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, sound editing went to uh, Dunkirk, and sound mixing went also to Dunkirk. Um, you Alexis Soto has a has a saying, and that's the Academy votes for the most loudest movie. And uh, Dunkirk, mm-hmm. I've seen about uh, 30 minutes of the movie and it is definitely the loudest movie of the of the list um (laughs) production design went to the shape of water i like that choice i it it really went to the one with uh with the more uh like there's more of a visual style to it you know the 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 way that the sets were designed the way that it looked very rustic and lived in, I really loved. Like, it didn't feel, like, new and shiny. Um, 
that right there is really cool. Uh, best visual effects, again, no shit. Blade Runner 2049. Um, my god, this city looks gorgeous. And the way that they shot some of the scenes. Um, again, it goes to um, when I... It, it was a beautiful moment between... Uh, I don't know what her name is, but uh, the hologram... Hologram Joy. Joy. Uh, when Joy and uh, Ryan Gosling uh, were being intimate for the first time. My God, that was a visually striking scene. And just like the way that the holograms, the projections really worked together and um, in unison. And also uh, what they did with uh, bringing Rachel back. Uh, that was also a visual striking scene. And it looked like uh, they pulled Sean Young out from the 80s and put it into into this movie so i think that was really good something that probably lucasfilm couldn't do um wink wink nudge nudge um best adapted screenplay um shame on me for not seeing this yet but uh, i will see it guys uh call me by your name uh and the recipient who got uh received the award was james ivory uh, I hear the movie is wonders and it's done wonders for a lot of people. Um, we'll, we'll get to see it, uh, soon. Best original screenplay goes to Get Out with the recipient being Jordan Peele. Um, I like this choice. I like this. I like that choice. Uh, Jordan Peele, my God, what, what a career he's had. He the, literally starting from the bottom, starting off. Have you seen Get Out? Anyway, best score uh, <laughs> goes to The Shape of Water, uh, receiving from uh, Alexandra Desplat. Um, Alexandre Desplat. Alexandre Desplat. <laughs> Is it good? If only, if only Peter were here. Um, yeah, I'm the not shape doing of that. water. I can do oh wow, but oh, wow. not the girl. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Pixar, uh, best song goes to "Remember Me" from Coco. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that this is me um, from Camp Rock didn't uh, didn't win. Um, so yeah. Best animated feature, uh, Coco, uh, duh. <laughs> uh, I think, I think, uh, Coco deserved to win. Although, uh, Loving Vincent was also striking a visual and it was a really well-made, uh, put together movie. What they did with, uh, capturing all the actors and, uh, painting them frame by frame amazing best supporting actress let's get to the big stuff guys um best supporting actress goes to alice and janney for i Tonya. great pick i think that this that is a deserving uh winner of the award i think uh she played fantastically she was batshit insane but not as batshit insane as a as a bucky barnes was but what she did as uh, as the mom, and you see, uh, in the movie where uh, where Tanya Harding comes from, and the line of a uh, line of I not succession, uh, but you definitely see like her upbringing through 
Alice and Janney, and you get to see uh, the madness uh, within uh, within Tanya's world. Best Supporting Actor. Uh, great, great job, Mr. Sam Rockwell. I think you did fantastic at this uh, for your role in Three Billboards, and I think you as Dixon uh, in the movie was fantastic, superb in every single level. Best Actress. Frances McDormand from Three Billboards. Again, no shit. Uh, another a recipient that could have got it, but uh, I'm glad that Frances McDormand won was Salon Hawkins. But I think uh, I think uh, Frances did good. Best Actor, Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. Um, people could see that coming from a mile away. Uh, yeah. Uh, best Best director goes to uh, Mr. Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Finally, finally, thank you, Academy, for apologizing for not giving him the award back when Pan's Labyrinth was up. So thank you. Um, best picture uh, going once again to The Shape of Water. Um, I think Inspired Choice. Inspired Choice definitely lends its way to more... Uh, more experimental movies uh, and artsy movies like *The Shape of Water* to be uh, to be in the forefront. So, Alexis Soto. Let's talk of this long list. <laughs> okay, I'll quickly go over. All right, so, um, I think there were several categories in which. Uh, the person I would have preferred to win didn't win. That being said, there really isn't. I think this is one of the rare years in where I can't really argue with any of the winners in that, that I can't really hate who ended up winning. I think a lot of the people who ended up winning this year um, were very deserving, and that is because, as we have been saying for quite some time, that 2017 was an extraordinary year. Dude, it was so fucking hard to choose. Uh, it was. Um, in fact... There was other films, I mean, I wish that would have gotten more recognition, but in the sense of who ended up winning, I'll quickly go through. Yeah, Dunkirk was going to win those three. Again, if I were picking them, I wouldn't give Dunkirk a single cent. I mean, I would have probably given Baby Driver all of, instead. Film of Dunkirk, editing. I would have put Baby Driver film for all editing. of those. I was completely shocked that it did not win uh, for film editing because that movie was so uh, ex explicitly intricately ed edited and uh that was really a huge shocker for uh the film editing well for future reference for film editing because film editing is indirectly sometimes directly tied into best picture i'll tell you this if baby driver wasn't nominated for best picture dunkirk was so that would have probably a good reason to a good indicator for what is more popular and what isn't with the academy for future reference anyway. Um, Roger Deakins winning for cinematography after 14 nominations, losing. Uh, amazing, amazing moment. The crowd loved it. Uh, he loved it. And of course, Blade Runner has the best cinematography of, of any movie this year. What it doesn't have <laughs> is visual effects. Now look, every single film on the list, except for Kong, I love. And just about, and I think even then you can narrow it down to three contenders had amazing visual effects. 
but even then you can narrow it down between two. The visual effects in Blade Runner Works was extraordinary. We've talked about it to death about how beautiful it is to look at, but I don't think you can compare anything they did with the apes for War for the Planet of the Apes. Not, and it's not just creating, you know, Sean Young for like one scene. You have all these, you have Maurice and you have Caesar and you have Bad Ape and you have all of these characters throughout the entire Dude, film and they look realistic. Can I take this moment and say uh, fuck off Academy for not putting Andy Serkis in uh, Best Leading Actor? Uh, thank you. Well, especially because, like, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and now War for the Planet of the Apes have all been nominated in this category and now have lost three times. Yeah. Three times. It's such a bloody shame, mate. It is, and I feel bad for Andy Serkis because I just feel he's one of the most underappreciated people in the industry. Not just for, you know, being on the forefront of motion capture, but for being a great actor. I think if you saw Black Panther... That's all the proof you need to know about how, how much of a thespian Andy Serkis is. By the way, guys, uh, check his out his mixtape on uh, SoundCloud. I think you'd uh, I think you'd love it. Uh, anyway, uh, go on, Mr. Soto. Uh, other things. Of course, Shape of Water was going to win Best Score, which I was rooting for it because, I mean, that was the best score Same. of the bunch. Uh, a song, I was surprised that remember me one because I was I was already expecting it to go to this is me but I was so pleasantly surprised in general I really was really uh, galvanized by the winds of Coco because that was just so what made it more special was seeing the reaction of certain people like Gael Garcia Bernal in the audience as well as um, Oscar Isaac when he presented the award uh, for best animated feature I think that really lit a fire in a lot of people and you can just tell the passion this movie has. I was actually watching this. I was I was watching a bit of Coco the other night in Spanish, and I'm like, man, this is such a good movie. Um, but it's also oh, so, a very important. So, movie. Uh, were you watching it uh, online, or did you watch it? Uh... I watched it live. I always watch it live. No, the um, yeah. the um, Coco. Did you watch? No, I I have the digital. Okay, copy so does iPad. it come with the Spanish version? I don't know if it's the is the uh, my parents saw it last night in Spanish the DVD the, the Blu-ray that they, they have the copy at home and I all I did was change the dubbing maybe not the dubbing I just changed it to Spanish it, it syncs up pretty well I'm not sure if it's a dubbed version but I, I to tell you the truth I have no <laughs> idea okay because I because no <laughs> I'm acquiring but, that but I, that I'll tell Blu-ray you, soon and I want to watch it in Spanish even right. Even well, though I'll have no idea what they're saying. Um, well, my, my parents saw it last night in Spanish, and they didn't seem to notice it, so and they loved but, it. But yeah, so. I, I definitely felt the passion of uh, the Latin community with uh, with this movie, and I definitely, I, I, it was definitely heartwarming to see uh, the faces mm-hmm. of everybody involved. Also... It was, uh, I think it was also a proud moment of redemption for Pixar, you know. It had been some time since they've made something. I think this was their best film since 2010, to be quite honest with you. And again, as somebody who has defended a lot of the films and have liked and appreciated a lot of the films that they've made, um, Coco was something special, and I think think you can tell. And I think what, what was also quite remarkable about, especially the acceptance speeches, um, was the diversity of the three filmmakers responsible when it came to, you know, co-screenwriter Adrian Molina, 
who thanked his husband, also a producer and screenwriter, Darla K. Anderson, who thanked her wife. Um, you just think about the, the complete diversity right there um, in, in making this. I think that that was a really special moment. And then, of course, Lee Unkrich, who brought it home when he said, um, you know, the, to, and most of all, thank you to the people of Mexico. And I thought, again, it was just a powerful reminder that, um, as you see in the film, of how misunderstood and villainized uh, these people have been by um, a certain peach. But it was a very powerful moment, and I thought, I mean, i got to be honest with you, some, when, I, when they were going into Remember Me, even though I wasn't too crazy about the performance and the way that it was handled, it's still, the emotion was still there because of how powerful that is in the film, so... I'm very happy for the awards that that movie got. Another great moment, Jordan Peele winning for Best Original yes. Screenplay. I mean, it just go, goes to show you how far you can come in this industry if you have if you have what it what it has to you know to be there. And Get Out was one of the most remarkable films I've seen in quite some time. I think you ended up loving it. And if you see it, watch it over again, even when it's over, because it you you catch so much that you miss over the first time. It is such a thrilling and uh, experience, such a wonderfully written and directed movie. How um, much, I I thought it was going to win. Did you let it stew yeah. before you watched it a second time? Uh, I want to say a month and a half, maybe two months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Just digest to like, it. And I, I re. Yeah, to digest it. It's it's a really it's a great film. It really is, and uh, it was well deserved, and very you happy said for you, him. You said you um, said uh, you thought that he was going to win best director, best picture. Oh, no, best no, no, picture. No best director. I thought. Yeah, I thought because well, well, I'll I'll, I'll get to that later. Let me just go through real quickly um, some of the other winners uh, that took that caught my attention. Um, I think all of the acting categories were pretty much 100% accurate. Francis and, and, and Sam deserved it, as did Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman gave one of the best performances probably ever. He was amazing in Darkest Hour. The movie isn't great, I've, but he is. I haven't seen so that movie, that Darkest Hour, but I have seen clips of him as Churchill. And my God, is he transformative. He blows you away. Also... Uh, Great moment for James Ivory. Um, I'm not sure he's ever won. He's pretty old when you saw him go up there when he won for a screenplay yeah. of Call Me By Your Name. He's never won an Academy Award. But, it, I mean, that was his first, and I think you can tell that was a really special moment, especially for that movie, because I really do love that film, and I'm happy that he got something. I got to be honest with you, um, I'm not going to complain too much about it because, you know, there were a lot of great performances in that category. Again, I thought Alice and Johnny gave a good performance. I not I'm not sure it was an Academy Award winning performance for I, Tanya. And I'll guarantee you that's one of the one of the reasons why she won is because she had a, a killer campaign all throughout the award season and she's very well liked. Everybody likes Alice well, and Johnny. Yeah. So uh, that's probably one of the big reasons why she won. And as far as the big two, it was always gonna be Guillermo. Guillermo was always going to win because he deserves it. He's never won before, and as happy as I am that Jordan got in there and Greta got in there, um, it, it should have been Guillermo del Toro because he has been in this and because Shape of Water is a great movie. Um, it's also... That's why another reason why 
um, I can't get angry for that winning Best Picture because, it, as you said, it was an inspired choice. Um, I, I will tell you, though, um, as far as what ended up winning Best Picture, from what I was hearing anyway, is that probably would have gone to three billboards if it wasn't for some kind of backlash. I don't know what, what was, happened there. What was the backlash? I, I, I'll, I'll say this. There were a lot of people in the Academy that just didn't like the movie. Point blank. And then another That's thing is stupid. apparently there was this movement. Yeah, but the, it's the Academy, Kyle. That's well, the to be Academy expected. is stupid. Another thing is, another thing is, um, not disagreeing here, you know, just looking back at what happened last year. Um, the other thing here is the real, the, the backlash that was forming against this movie was apparently its lack of of commentary on race and how it may have mishandled that in the movie when again that wasn't what the movie was going for i think i think a lot of us would probably say that that was bullshit but again these are politics these are the academy people and if people are already looking for an excuse to knock this movie down a peg remember as i was telling david moreno the other day because we were talking about you know the the recent history of the academy by the way hi david my i have it right hi david I have it on good authority from my sources down on the ground. Um, and we probably have some good uh, reasoning for what happened last year with La La Land. Because what happened there is La La was winning everything. And so everybody was just expecting that to win. Because they had won everything before it. Um, and Moonlight, I think, only won one or two. But those were the only two that were going forward. But based on my sources... There was actually a movement within the, um, the voting board that went out of their way to take that movie down. So, again, we're in a position where we're not voting for who, what is the best movie. By the way, that's not me saying La La was the best movie. I'm just saying that here we have these group of people who don't care about which movie is well, the most deserving Well, which has the most uh, celebrity-slash-political intrigue. Well, well, yes, but in this case that I'm referencing, they seem to be motivated by hate. Hatred of this movie and the love that it was getting, so they went out of their way to and take that, it down. And again, and we're getting... And that's why it lost. That's why, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. Because there's actual mathematics here. And it's important for the audience to know this. The Academy Awards, especially for Best Picture, they don't win based on a popular vote, right? So for the past few years, they switched to this preferential ballot. And the way that it works is um, you list all the nominees for Best Picture in order of your first preference to your least preference, right? And so let's say in the case last year, La La Land... Probably won the popular vote last year. But the Electoral College was stupid. (laughs) It's pretty much that's how it It ended up winning out because, or not in in this case, La La Land probably ended up winning the popular vote, but it it missed the threshold it needed to secure it. So that that meant that they would go to everybody's number two choice. And if Moonlight ended up winning that, then that would have won Best Picture. A preferential ballot is much more complicated than a popular vote ball, uh, ballot. So just to make sure everybody understands that best picture is not decided by an up and down popular vote. It's pretty much kind of like 
the Electoral College on the popular vote in the presidential election. So that is why they were able to sabotage La La Land, and that's why Moonlight won Best Picture. So it, it's because of things like this where I, I kind of take whatever the Academy thinks of the grain of salt, like really, because this is really bullshit. In all, with all due respect, and it so just to give to more go into to that. Uh, into like themes and what have you. The main theme of three billboards was empathy and forgiveness and all that stuff. How is that a huge turnoff? How is that such a detrimental uh, turnoff? But uh, anyway, uh, with the shape of wa- well. With, with go the, ahead, go ahead. With sorry. the shape of go water, ahead. I I really uh I really appreciate that it won. It the movie is very uh sex positive. Um uh not afraid to uh uh explore your sexuality and that's the whole thing. It's very anti toxic masculinity. Um and that's a that's a huge thing of this uh of this year. Especially with the huge uh, Times Up movement, um, and that right there is another uh, another reason why it went to Shape of Water. Do you know what else it has? Look at the cast of characters. I can tell you why it won based on describing it the way that I'm seeing it. Shape of Water is about these group of displaced people in society who have been pushed to the margins uniting together to help and save this other person who's been pushed to the margins. Richard Jenkins is a gay older man character. You have Sally, Je- Sally so, uh, Hawkins, who is who's mute. Octavia Spencer, who is black in the 50s. And you have Michael Stuhlbarg, who is the Russian spy doctor. And they're all coming together to help this amphibious creature from what you said is the the archetype of uh, masculine masculinity or whatever, and is these people who are different, who are not like each other, but the only thing that connects them is that they're that they're different and they're being pushed back from society. They come together and they save one of their own. Uh, and I think what's what, one of the great things that makes such a beautiful movie, and I think that's one of the main themes that is so relevant in today's political climate. So I don't, I'm not sure if you thought about it that way, but that's one of the things that I took away with, with uh, watching that movie. And one of the main things why I think they preferred that winning over three billboards. But it should be fair to know that there are a lot of people, aside from not, from the whole political backlash, I just think personally, based on what I've been hearing, a lot of Academy members just didn't like the movie. And if, if there were if there's enough people that didn't like it, then it's not going to win think Best it has? Do you think like it La La has Land. anything to do with the ending not having closure? I, I can't really say what it was. All I can tell you is that there were enough of them to make that much of a difference. And, yeah, that's pretty much all I'll say there. Although, I do think three billboards deserve to win Best Picture. Yeah. As I said repeatedly on my Twitter account, when I officially endorsed three billboards, you sabotaged it, and and you know it. You put that right there, and you. I'm done. I'm. I'm. I'm done. What? What? 
I I went on Twitter to show my support for a film. And I everything you support was great. Withers and, and dies. That's why we have Trump as president. <laughs> I mean, are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that? I used my curse for dooming every single nominee who I picked to win Best Picture as a weapon and doomed three billboards? Yes, that is exactly. Why would I do that? Because me and Peter wanted it, uh, three billboards to win. And we all know, uh, mi- we all know bit. Mr. Soto. And we all know what a petty creature he is. <laughs> okay. Um, well, all I'll say to that is I wish Mr. Martinez all the best with his wall of losers. Anyway, uh, final thoughts on, uh, the 2018 Oscars. Yeah, they were nice. Can't wait till next year when Black Panther sweeps the field. <laughs> you monster. You horrible, horrible monster. It's time to bring something back, ladies and gentlemen. So let's ask the age-old question. What's happening, hot stuff? What's happening, hot stuff? Feels so good to say that. <laughs> Haven't said it in a while. Anyway, guys, um, Alexis, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Dear Did God. you like the movie Elf? Yeah. Did you like the first two Iron Man movies? I love Iron Man 1, and I think Iron Man 2 is a horribly underappreciated movie. It, it honestly gets me upset when people say it's not a good movie. It's a bad movie. No, it's not. It's not a great movie by any means, but it is a good movie with a lot of fun. Does it have problems? Yes, it does, but it is a good Did movie. Did you like uh, the live-action Jungle Book? I enjoyed Did it. Did you... I also love Shaq. Well, guess. And I also I also didn't mind Cowboys and Aliens or Zathura. Well, get oh Zathura Zathura is a is a wonderful movie, wonderful wonderful movie. So Alexis, with that being said, you are in mm-hmm. luck because combined, uh, the guy who was responsible for all those uh, all those uh, movies, and uh, and your favorite uh, subject, Star Wars. Combine them together, and you have John Favreau for Star Wars. Uh, it was announced uh, last week that John Favreau is going to be at the helm of a new Star Wars television live-action show uh, for the Disney streaming service. Now, Alexis, what do you think of this news? So you're trying to tell me that Pre Vizsla himself, the head of Clan Vizsla, of Death Watch, is going to be writing and producing a Star Wars show. That is, in fact, correct. Well. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> to quote David Tennant. Well, I think this, well, yeah, well, this really goes to show you how ingrained 
Jon Favreau has been welcomed into the Disney family on virtually every level. I mean, he's been involved with Marvel for, for I think, almost 10 years now. Um, and, yeah, he's been doing side projects and passion projects. But also he's been helming Jungle Book and then the, the upcoming Lion King. Um, so Disney really trusts him. And Jon Favreau no, is also a huge they Star Wars love fan. love him. <clears throat> yeah. And Jon Favreau is also a huge Star Wars fan. And Jon Favreau knows Dave Filoni. And I'm pretty sure Dave and Jon like each other very He's much. also worked with uh, Star Wars alum uh, uh, Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. I think this is... Um, look, I'll reiterate. I still have huge, huge, huge reservations about a live-action Star Wars show. However... If this is going to be, and it is going to be, the marquee um, event for the Disney streaming service when it launches next year, they need to put a lot of money into this. And I think they will, because I think Disney, more than anybody, should realize. Because um, I do think more times than not, the, yeah, the name Star Wars more, is. More often than not, they put the, the money necessary, um, especially for Star Wars, to make it right. The, the, the trick here is, though, there's never been a live-action Star Wars show, so it's going to be interesting like, what time where when and the we show... all know the lo- the Go last ahead. time Star Wars did anything live-action for television, and we all know how that panned out. Oh God, don't mention that, please. That was a that was a nightmare. <laughs> don't. But I know but it's as, an important oh day. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it, but go on. I really hope, um, I think he will. I mean, I think John Favreau really, really wants to do this, and I think that that can make all the difference. Um, even though I think it wasn't said in the press release, he's pretty much going to be the showrunner of the show, which um, I think it's perfect. And I also think he, uh, because he has worked on it with um, with Dave and George Lucas on Clone Wars, I'm pretty sure he's going to look to Rebels and Clone Wars and see what they've done because even though certain people of this esteemed uh, network haven't appreciated what's happened with Rebels lately, I, for one, am very proud of what Dave Filoni and his team have done in the past 10 years or 12 years, whatever you want to call it with Clone Wars and Rebels, and I think they have made amazing Star Wars stories that I think transcend the limitations of television. But I think they've done that with animation. I think it can work with animation. Can it work with live action? I think still remains to be seen. But John Favreau does get me more um, interested and excited for what's to come. Um, there is not one Favreau project I've hated. I think all of his projects are good. I think a lot of the stuff that he's done in the past is good. And I think that John Favreau helming Star Wars, I mean, a fan making making uh, Star Wars properties. I mean, we've all seen what fans could do with Star Wars. I mean, Gareth Edwards was a huge fan of the grit of, uh, of Star Wars and what, uh, what it could do. Um, 
J.J. Abrams was uh, is a huge fan of the feeling he got from Star Wars. Um, Ryan Johnson uh, knows Star Wars to a science. And to have another fan come in and make uh, Star Wars content, amazing. Do that. It's awesome. Uh, you gotta you gotta keep doing that uh, because, like it or not, Star Wars has a huge uh, fat you know fan base. Uh, a lot has uh, uh, stirred in the wrong direction at times. Um, cough, cough. Uh, Last Jedi backlash. Um, but overall, I think that uh, the fan community is strong, and I think that uh, that uh, we need uh, more forces to uh, to you know start creating it. What better than John Favreau um, to do it? I think he uh, he has a firm grasp. A lot of inspiration of uh, of uh, Star Wars elements go into uh, some of his filmmaking, and it clearly shows. Um, Does this mean uh, the Obi Wan movie? Probably. Because I, I mean, even though it was never said that he was attached to it, a lot of people assumed he was going to be directing and writing that movie. And I think, I think we, I talked about this with Peter in a few podcasts ago. I think with the recent decisions they've been making, it certainly looks like it to me that they're moving as far away as possible from these solo movies or these uh, Star Wars stories. I don't know why I said solo, maybe because it's solo, the the upcoming solo. It seems to me, yeah, these standalone films based on characters that we've already seen, I think, I, I hope anyway, that, they've been, that they're moving away from that. Yeah. Even though it sucks, because I think Obi-Wan probably would have been a really good standalone. Uh, but, preferable but the Rebels kind of uh, stole its thunder. No, yeah, I, I can't, yeah, it, it, it really did, and Peter agrees too, so it's like, because if you're... That's the one thing everybody could have, like, if you're going to do an Obi-Wan movie, you do with Maul. But yeah, they kind of did that. I think they Rebels did, did that. And... To perfection, might I add. Oh, it's to still standing as my favorite uh, Star Wars up, Star Wars uh, Rebels episode of, uh, of all time. And, now, and I could say that because uh, the series has ended. Um, but, yeah, I think... Which you can catch our review of the Star on the Wars Fantasy series Fair and season uh, four podcast with, oh, the, with Morenos. the Morenos. So it's, it sounds like like a crossover episode with the Goldbergs. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think uh, John Favreau is good. It's it's also I I, I wondered if he was uh, up to something because uh, Ron Howard on his Instagram took a picture of uh, John Favreau. Inside uh, the Lucasfilm studio headquarters, yeah, really on his Instagram. So I was suspicious of what was going on. I'm like, yeah, he has a cameo, but you don't just invite somebody like John Favreau on into your premises without something cooking in the kitchen first. And no, it isn't John Favreau making his famous Cubanos uh, that's cooking. So I think so. I was wondering what is what are they up to. And uh, sure enough, they announced that uh, John Favreau is uh, returning. So I wasn't, I wasn't as surprised as everybody was because I was already suspicious enough. Um, let's talk about uh, the backlash of uh, of everybody say a lot of people are like, oh, it's another writer, a white writer that they're uh, they're hiring for the for the thing. 
for uh, Star Wars. What do you think about that statement? It wasn't... Um, it was probably one of the worst PR moves, public relations move in Because they did it on National Women's Day. To drop this on International on National Women's Day. Um, to which Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. dropped an amazing roundtable with the women of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which makes up the majority of the cast. You can go watch that right oh, now on of YouTube. Course. Of course. Um, it was a great conversation. By the way, a show that is primarily... The head EP of is a woman, Marissa Tancheron, and so, you know, wonderful about that as well. Um, look, I think I'll just say that my thoughts can be traced back to the beginning of the show. Like, yeah, but I like John Favreau, so I can't say this upsets me, and but it really just kind of it it. it it's gotten to a point where it kind of like really, you know, it upsets me that people react this way immediately, but I understand it to some extent, but I'd rather just not think about it, you know? So, Well yeah. then. So, guys, uh, something happened last week. Two things happened last week. Um, first... Three things. I mean, the series finale of Star Wars Rebels, which you can go. Well, stuff that we there. haven't talked about yet. Uh, number one, Shield reached its a uh, hundredth episode, which uh, Alexis will uh, will gladly, beyond gladly, I uh, review for you. After I tell you uh, another thing that happened uh, last week. And that was uh, Netflix dropped H. Um, H is a shield. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm losing it, guys. Uh, Jessica Jones, uh, season two was released on Netflix on March eighth, and uh, I I binge watched it, thinking that uh, uh, other people on the panel would uh. <laughs> Would binge watch it too, but uh, I followed that yellow brick road all by myself to Emerald City, <laughs> and you just I was like, right? "Everybody's gonna watch it, so I might as well get ahead of the game." Because I was so far behind with the Punisher, and I wanted to get ahead of the, Iron and Fist. I wanted to get ahead of the well, and run away. Iron Fist, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna get ahead of the curve and watch uh, watch Jessica Jones season two, um, and I definitely have thoughts. I definitely have thoughts on uh, season two. Uh, so Alexis Soto, buckle in because you're in for a wild ride. Um, I'm gonna keep oh it mostly spoiler free. I will give like little minor spoiler details. Um, in it, but uh, nothing detrimental to the overall uh, plot or uh, or stuff that uh, it was involved with uh, Jessica Jones season two. Uh, first of all, we have uh, Jessica Jones. Uh, this is a this is a minor detail, but it's been in all of the trailers. Uh, so she's been reeling off, uh, uh, killing off. Uh, wait. If you haven't seen uh, Jessica Jones season one, please do not listen because I'm revealing. Hold up, hold up. If you haven't seen Jessica Jones season one, fuck uh, off. Anyway, so uh, 
Jessica Jones is uh, played fantastically by uh, Kristen Ritter. Uh, she is reeling off from uh, what she did in uh, Jessica Jones season one, which was a uh, which being no, raped, killing a uh, killing Kilgrave, and uh, and trying to come to grips with uh, asking the main question: Is she a murderer? Is she, you know, and. <laughs> what um didn't she ki- didn't she kill like 10 ninjas and the defenders i i could have sworn i remember her killing a lot of people well that's couldn't have that's a com- that's her. a major com- one of the major complaints i have about uh season two they don't address uh the defenders at all or what happened like, like it never, it never even, happened? even happened. I'm, f- <laughs> oh I'm my God. very suspicious. Really? I'm very suspicious what happened. You know, it's so funny. Danny Iron Fist got more reference in Jessica Jones season two than the Defenders. Uh, but then again, it's because uh, Jerry Hogarth's one of her main, uh, 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 you know, contributors to her organization is the Rand family. So I guess I could see why they do that. That's the only mention they get, is that uh, the round the Rand Foundation, yada, yada, you know yada, why, yada. right? Uh, it, just, does 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 that have anything sorry. to do with Iron Fist? Yeah, because Jerry Hogarth was actually a um, part of her origin as a lawyer in New York is that she worked for the Rand Corporation when she was starting out for um, Danny Rand's uh, father. And then in the show, she's the one that helps uh, uh, prove that Danny Rand is Danny Rand because he was off in Kunlun and the, the oh, world so thought he was dead. she made an appearance in uh, Iron Fist. Oh, she was, a, she was an important player in okay. Iron Fist. Okay, all right, I see, yeah. I see, yeah. okay. So they had... Uh, they had more reference of Rand than uh, Jessica Jones referencing uh, Daredevil or or Luke Cage or anything like that. Yeah, you'd think that would have affected yeah, her somehow, but it, you know? It, it, it was just... Matt Murdock just died it was just and a, like, It was okay, just another day on. at the office, I guess. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, That's weird. That's oh, really Foggy weird. Oh, Foggy has a cameo in, uh, and I'm saying cameo in a very loose term. Um, he was there to, like, stop Jerry from doing something, I guess it was stupid. Uh, and he was like, no, don't do this. Uh, and she pretty much, uh, Jerry pretty much told uh, Foggy to fuck off. And that was the extent of uh, his scene in Jessica Jones. So I'm like, okay, that happened. Were you needed there, Foggy? No, absolutely not. But uh, we have to connect everything together, uh, and but I mean, weren't you, wait wait a minute? Weren't you just saying that you were upset that they didn't connect the defender? So what are you saying? It, it, uh, I... That they're that they're that they're connecting things in the wrong way. That they're getting sloppy, and that they're not caring as much about what like, came before. Like. Did... It's not connecting where yeah. it should, and it's trying to connect where yeah, it shouldn't. I mean, it's like. Okay. That that was my main that was one of my main issues 
Um, another main issue I have with Jessica Jones, um, season two, season two is, uh, albeit not the not the um, protagonist's fault because it was a tough act to follow, but lack of an intriguing uh, or compelling uh, antagonist. And that's really? the thing. I mean, I mean, it's wow. it. It was definitely a hard act to follow with uh, David Tennant coming in as Kilgrave, which, um, for those fans of uh, David Tennant, don't get your hopes up um, from that promo image that you saw on Entertainment Weekly of, uh, of Kilgrave being in Jessica Jones Season 2. Uh, Some more he had a glorified cameo in uh, Jessica Jones Season 2. Uh, no more, no less. So for those fans of, uh, of what David Tennant did for, uh, for the, for the previous season, uh, don't come in expecting much of him. Anywho, um, I mean, the actress did fine, but it wasn't, uh, she, David Tennant, she is not, you know, and that, and that's very unfortunate that uh that it had to be that way but uh also the also the writing is very uh stereotypical i am a misunderstood villain uh, uh kind of thing and that's the only that's the other thing that really uh really uh hindered not hindered that's a that's a strong word it didn't really uh uh put it off the way that uh that it should have in uh jessica jones season two However, as much as negativity that I'm saying, um, I like this season. I, I really did. Uh, I think Kristen Ritter outdid herself in this season. She is, uh, she is Jessica Jones. Uh, I don't see any other actor or act. I don't see any other actress performing, uh, performing this character the way that Kristen Ritter did. Um, all the other characters are, uh, are really good. I like uh, what they've done with Malcolm this season. I really like what they've done with Trish. Uh, the Trish's mom, bitchy as ever, but uh, but deliciously bitchy. Um, I I I think that a lot of characters in this uh, did really well. Carrie Ann Moss had a huge role as Jerry Hogarth in this uh, in this season. Like huge, like she had like a she was here and there in season one, of a of a Jessica Jones. She was a solid, uh, solid C plot, and I'm not saying that as like oh it's just another plot. No, she had a huge part in this role, in this uh in this season. Um, she goes through an arc. Everybody has a has a complete arc, a well written uh, arc from beginning to end. Um, I really like the dynamic between uh, Trisha and uh, and uh, Jessica this season, and the way that they uh, deal with that. I like uh, the her relationship. There's a new character or characters in this season with the superintendent and the um, and uh, the superintendent's kid. And that was an interesting dynamic, and you gotta see Jessica open up 
for the first time because she's ne she's always reserved and you see her for the first time opening up and that was really refreshing seeing because of all that and you get to see a, a little bit more backstory on Jessica Jones um, and her backstory is uh, more than meets the eye to her and I think uh, I think it was a uh, well well crafted other than the elements that I told you of before um, yeah those are the those are definitely my thoughts on uh, Jessica Jones season two. Um, Maybe more Mr. Soto, do you have like any comments questions? to say about the 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 things that you were talking about? Um, criticism, okay. anyway. I I I'm getting the sense that the Marvel Netflix universe is slowly collapsing into itself. Um, and that may have to do because they kind of set the bar so high with those first three or four seasons that I think ever since, and even though I love Luke Cage season one, ever since then, there's been this precipitous feeling in the air that everything that has followed has been a law of diminishing returns. I love Daredevil Season 1, Season 2, Jessica Jones Season 1, and Luke Cage Season 1. However, I do understand some of the critiques of the latter half of Luke Cage Season 1. But then it really just sinks with Iron Fist. Defenders was good, not great. And there's a bit of just it's not as watchable as the other shows punisher good not great pacing issues too many episodes jessica jones season two by all accounts same thing good not great a little slow too many episodes also there's no apparent from what you're saying no lack little regard for trying to connect to previous events and also, some bit of news that I think people just glossed over, which I think would make sense somehow, is according to Kristen Ritter, there are no plans for a Defender Series 2, and that it was only going to be a one-time thing. Which, what? <laughs> no, that really, sucks. like, what? <laughs> so... Of everything that it's also, I think, a okay, sign that, it, that, like, that it's that's disintegrating. Silly. That's it's silly, and also it shows, and it sucks because I remember abandoning ship. Ever since the first season of Daredevil, I was so excited for every you know, you know subsequent season, subsequent show. Because let's just face it, man, those first couple of seasons of Jessica Jones Daredevil really set the bar so high. But it feels like ever since then it's been like a continuous drop down and I think they haven't been able to, to go back up in quality. And look, I'll say this in regards to agents of shield and, and the quality of the show. No one here loves the show more than I do, but I think it is fair to say that 
I wouldn't. I, I personally wouldn't be upset if you put both seasons of Daredevil and maybe even Jessica Jones season one over the series. I understand, but it certainly seems to me that if you consider seasons three, four, and five of Shield compared to these new seasons of Punisher, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, certainly Defenders, they haven't even been able to match that. I feel. And I think they're kind of getting careless. It seems as if they're getting even less money for their budgets. And they're so hell-bent on needlessly dragging it out to 13 episodes every single show. The one show that I felt, ironically enough, could have had more episodes was The Defenders itself. But I don't know. Does it seem to you... Let me ask you this. Point blank. Yeah. Should this season have been 13 episodes, or do you think it could have been condensed? Hmm. Um. 11 episodes, I think, would have done this uh, this season justice. I think it's because of And the, that's also uh, another thing, though. So there's a weak the villain? Villain. And everything there's that's a, okay. I this mean, this is more. This is the house that Marvel Netflix I, built. You have Wilson I, Fisk, yeah, the villain, and, and Kilgrave, and Cottonmouth, and all those other ones. This is the house that the Marvel Netflix they they've had the best villains, and now is that disintegrating as well? I get why. Uh, you'll have to see why they put the villain there um but the the way that this character is uh in correlation with everything else um the shtick of the emotional grasp of the of the character uh became uh started to hinder the show and I, I get it, and it kind of made Jessica do things that Jessica wouldn't do, because quite, quite frankly, she's like, uh, she thinks with, you know, her fists, she thinks with, you know, with logic, and she's probably the most logical out of all the defenders, and she was uh, thinking illogically. Uh, at the you know in this season uh, because of the hindrance of the villain um, and I think man this uh, is really really beginning I, I to get that the bad villain really hindered this show if I'm thinking about the villains from Iron Fist to Defenders to Punisher to now this based on what you're telling me anyway it seems as if in the past four shows the villains have been complete if not Partial misfires. Whoa, 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 whoa! But, here's but the thing, not though, with Marvel we've Netflix. Had misfire That's what I'm trying to say. Right? Okay, we're going to compare itself. it to Marvel Netflix. This is bad. I know, but here, but here, but here's the thing. That's not where I was going. I was not going there. I was saying that we've had uh, misfire villains in Marvel before. But it did not. 
And what I was going to say is I think it's even more disappointing on this level because by and large, as you say, the villains that we've gotten from the Marvel Netflix universe have been more compelling than we've gotten from the Marvel from the Marvel films. And that's why I'm uh, that, that's why I'm saying there's a higher standard I think on these shows to be better than I think well, they've never... actually been performing. <clears throat> number one, Wilson Fisk is terrifying. Number two, uh Kilgrave um gloriously sadistic and uh and the way that he was fucked up to the to the main character uh unfathomable unfathomable and david tennant sold that so Cottonmouth. fucking well um diamondback and uh i even like mariah and, uh, and shades and uh cottonmouth brilliant brilliant uh br- Electra was good yeah, in season two. All of them, I didn't care much for villains. her in Defenders. The um, hand I thought was really great in season two, but not in Defenders. It's weird. It's really weird. It, it, it yeah, yeah. It's just I I don't know. Uh do do you think do you think they're trying to like. Abandoned ship before. Uh, before I don't the whole, know. I, I, don't, uh, I really don't Netflix know. It, it feels like thing, they, they've just uh, stopped Disney, trying. Uh, streaming service. Comes I around. feel anyway. And if it, it, to answer your question earlier about why Peter and I didn't tuned in is because, and it's not like we discussed it like beforehand. It just kind of happened. Is that, yeah, the Marvel Netflix shows are just—they're no longer the event they used to be. You know. It's no longer a must-watch, which is really sad, I feel. And I think based in, again, I'll take your word. The season's good. But it just seems, yeah, that, but again, but that's like the third or fourth consecutive show in a row where you can't say that. And 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 they're fighting against the expectations that the other shows in this universe have set for themselves. So it's, it's kind of sad and yeah number one number one uh jeff flob uh give these shows a fucking bone uh number two ike perlmutter go wither and die you need you're a hindrance on everything that that is uh being uh, brought forth with all these, uh, with all these, uh, uh, Netflix programming, and, uh, it's looking like, it's looking bad on you, because it just looks like you don't care, so, yeah, take my, take my advice, uh, with, with great generosity, sir, um, my what? Yeah, that's all I have to say. Hopefully your side is what better, Alexis. Oh, your side thought, is better. Okay. Well, you saw Shield, the hundredth episode. What'd you think of the? Sh- what'd you think of Shield? And it's well, uh, I can say at the start, hundredth episode milestone. As somebody who is a. Who is a series fan and declares it well, as his favorite show? To be show fair, of all Kyle, time. I've never, I never once said. Tell me said, why. Tell oh, me why. You're the one that keeps saying it's of all time. I mean, the hundredth episode. 
Well, no, just to say the facts here. Well, you um, paint this lovely picture. Season five has been great. Season five has been great, and I mean, um, you could clearly see week Mona Lisa smiling more, more. This is the perfect show to watch week to week. They give you so much in one episode, and they keep you wanting more. Every single episode of this series, I've walked away satisfied and hungry for more. In this episode in particular, um, here's this is the one hundredth episode of this show, which is a milestone for any show in general, especially in this day when it's even harder to reach that milestone. But um, what I love. Mm-hmm. Tell me about especially it. on a net, um, especially on a network that's known for. And so I think it, right. getting here, I feel, is a victory in and of itself for the cast and crew and the fan base that have kept it alive uh, this far. And what I loved about this episode is that while yes, it mm-hmm. has the mechanics of a of a hundredth episode celebration, it doesn't just drop everything and like, hey guys. Remember this? Remember, remember, remember when we did this? Remember this guy? And wasn't that fun? It doesn't drop any storyline that's been happening in, in the season like any other shows to, to take a moment and breathe. It does. It does take a moment, but it builds upon what was, what was teased back weeks ago. And it, it capitalizes on a particular moment. So the catalyst for this episode is that Coulson reveals the deal he made with Ghost Rider back at the end of season four when the spirit of vengeance goes into him so they can take down Ada. There was a cost and that pill uh-huh. and that pill, sorry. The bill uh, is shown. No, no, it wasn't a pill. I meant to say bill. There's no Are pill you, Did you just reveal a spoiler? No. Um, and the bill is... Oh, do you know? It's up to be paid. And okay. the reveal of what... Literally. The reveal of what the deal was, and more importantly, the emotional toll it took on the team, only could have worked at this point in the show. Because you can tell how... I think it also helps that a lot of the cast and crew they they themselves have said it many times and you don't ha- they don't have to say it because you feel it and you see it that they do they are a family both on the show and off the show. And that moment when Colson reveals what is happening and what is going to happen um is devastating. And there is this moment that he has with Daisy in particular that is heartbreaking and sad and beautiful. And I can't remember the last time I wept at an episode of this show. But this was... But I mean, I'll just say, the, this, this episode was perfect. It was perfect. Um, because it had a story that was about Phil Coulson and him being the symbol for S.H.I.E.L.D. and what it means after all of this is happening with all of the things that are happening right now. um, They pay off so much for other characters as well. There were moments of genuine shock 
and surprise. And this was one of the rare examples in which there are tears of brokenheartedness, you know, tears of pain, but then also tears of absolute joy. And it really does change the game going forward. And they keep it fresh to where things are going to happen in the future that I can't even foresee. I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't even want to discuss about certain things you may have seen in Tumblr or whatever, Kyle, because I, I just don't want to. Go. You need to, or Twitter or whatever, you need to see this episode oh, going in dark without knowing any details because that is how you're going to enjoy it the most. Because what they were able to pull off was a genuine surprise and also a wonderfully written, directed, acted, and emotional episode. I think when it's all said and done, this will be one of their signature episodes because it, it all easily, easily one of my favorites because... Is this one of your favorites? Abs- no, yes. Yes, it is. It is. If not top ten. Because I think what... They don't... They don't go okay. big in the sense that there's a, like this action-heavy stuff. They go big for story and character work, which I think where where the show really excels. Not like, yeah. Yawn. So uh, I'm just I was incredibly happy and moved by what I saw, uh, and you know I'm getting this lingering feeling that a lot of what happened in this episode and a lot of what has been happening this season, this is beginning to feel like the end, if I'm being honest with you. And while on some level that is saddening, if this was to be a final season, they're doing it to perfection. And so a lot of the emotional beats and payoffs and storylines... There is a moment of Felinda, I will say, I did tease in this episode. There's a moment. Um, so, if this were to be the last season, and they, the, Jed and Marissa are writing this as a potential series finale, the end of the season, I, I wouldn't be as upset or angry as I would have last year. Because this, I think they're really going out of their way to you know close off yeah close off some loose threads i mean of course i hope it comes back next year i think this is a great show that gets better every year and every year but i'll just say that the things that we're getting this year are so rewarding and so satisfying that okay we'll see what happens but i think you're gonna like a lot of the stuff that they've been showing and i can't wait for you to see it whenever you get that chance Well, that was uh, apparently a very emotional uh, review from uh, Mr. Soto. Uh, And uh, that concludes today's programming. So, did you guys like what you heard? And if you liked it, go check out podcast.com and itunes.com and uh, keyword Red Spotlight Entertainment and you'll check it out there. And if you want to see our bright and shining faces... Go on YouTube where we do after darks every after after every movie we see 
uh, in the movie theaters, and we go sweat it out in a car and uh, and uh, vlog a review that way. Uh, tune in pretty soon because uh, the 100th episode is uh, quickly approaching us. Uh, potentially within the next two weeks, we'll see how this uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, check out Fantasy Fair. Uh, we had we just recorded uh, two episodes uh, recently, and uh, we want you to check that out. So, without further ado, I'm Calera, Tori, and Kermit. Take it away.